Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. Some people argue that the Bible contradicts itself when it comes to the subject of drinking alcoholic beverages. On the one hand, in the Old Testament, a book like Proverbs has repeated warnings about the dangers of alcohol and drinking. On the other hand, in the New Testament, we have this account where Jesus attends a wedding and he turns water into wine. And we have Paul saying things to Timothy like, drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. This debate has gone on for a long time among in, in the general Christian world. Some people teaching that it's okay for Christians to drink alcohol in moderation as long as they don't get drunk. Others teaching total abstinence. What does the Bible say about drinking and how do we apply that to our lives today? To approach this subject, uh, I think two important points uh, need to be understood from the outset. First of all, whenever you're going to talk about a major lifestyle issue, you should trace what the Bible teaches all the way from Genesis to Revelation. You shouldn't just cherry pick and you shouldn't focus primarily on the Old Testament without considering what the New Testament might have to say. The reason is we believe in progressive revelation. God took people from a life of sin and gradually begin teaching them, and that he didn't necessarily bring them all the way in some cases. In the Old Testament, people didn't receive the Holy Ghost. They didn't have inward power uh, to overcome sin and fully do God's will. So God led them step by step back to his plan, and it's in the New Testament that we see the full plan for Christian living. So we should keep that in mind. The second thing is, that is important is the word wine. So both in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament, uh, the term wine could cover all the juice from the grape, uh, whether it's fermented or not fermented. Now, we might consider that in the majority of cases it's referring to fermentation, but actually in Hebrew there are more, and in Greek, there, there are several different words that have different connotations. But without getting too technical, in the Old Testament, the term wine sometimes clearly meant fresh grape juice because uh, Isaiah talks about the wine in the cluster. So it's still in the grape on the vine. Uh, also, the word for the corn and wine or the grain and wine and uh, where the people would pay tithes, that particular word is typically the fresh, unfermented juice. Likewise, in the New Testament, here you can have an example. Jesus gave the parable, you don't put new wine in old bottles because, or, or the old skins because when the wine is fermented, it will burst the skin. So obviously, when you first put the wine in, it's unfermented because that's the problem. During the process, it ferments. So even in the New Testament, the term wine can be used for unfermented. And also, if you study the culture of that day, and you can even see this in Homer's writings, the Iliad, the Odyssey, that when they would drink wine as a table beverage, they would have a big bowl and they would mix the wine with water. So the, it might only be one part wine and three parts water so that you couldn't 
even get intoxicated in even if it was fermented uh, in in normal quantities of drinking at a meal, you couldn't get intoxicated because the purpose was, especially in time where it was difficult to have sanitary water, um, the juice or the wine was a way of keeping a beverage um, wholesome and uh, free of disease and contamination, but you wouldn't drink it straight. You would dilute it, mix it with large quantities of water. So it had the preservative qualities or wholesome qualities uh, but yet it would not be intoxicating. So obviously you could get intoxicated if you wanted to, but for normal use, you couldn't. Um, and so that probably would explain Paul's statement. He's not saying uh, go out and get drunk. He's saying use a little sanitary juice, maybe even unfermented, instead of the local unsanitary water. He's not, he said, because of your stomach's sake. Apparently, Timothy had stomach issues, problems. So he's not saying, oh yeah, drink alcoholic beverages to help your weak stomach. That's the opposite of what he's saying. And when you look at Jesus turning water into wine, uh, he created, uh, he, he, that was a creative miracle. Uh, so you would think probably he created fresh juice. F a fermented wine is a process of decay. So do you think God created something that was decayed, or do you think God created something that's fresh? And and God doesn't tempt anyone, so do you think God was deliberately creating a strong alcoholic beverage so people would get drunk? Or you know, so so trying to use those examples uh, probably falls far short. What we should actually do is say, okay, how was wine used, and how is it supposed to be used? Yes, in the Old Testament, people did uh, use fermented wine, and in some cases, they did get drunk. But repeatedly, it's shown as a negative thing. In fact, there are admonitions in the Old Testament. Kings are not to drink wine. Uh, of course, I'm sure they breached that. But that was what they were instructed because it would alter their judgment. Priests were not to drink wine as they ministered. Uh, and, and so the, the Nazarites, people who had a vow of separation. Well, the relevance of that is in the New Testament, all of God's people are supposed to be kings, priests, and separated ones. So even taking the Old Testament, which was not the fullest statement of the subject, but if you followed that principle, God's people today would abstain. And we actually do see, as you mentioned in Proverbs, for example, Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Uh, Proverbs 23, 31, a very direct command, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's talking about the fermentation process, the alcoholic content. So actually, if you want to follow the best admonition, not the the failed practices of people who didn't have the Holy Ghost, but actually the admonition of what God wished, um, then you wouldn't drink alcoholic beverages. And the New Testament, of course, is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. So if you get drunk, that's clearly a sin. You say, what if I drink in moderation and abstain? Well, there are several problems with that, or, or, or uh, you know, make sure I don't get drunk. Several problems with that. First of all, even a small amount starts affecting you. So you may not be fully intoxicated, but you are affected and your inhibitions are lowered. And for a Christian, that's a real problem because it, it's now opening you up and, and people drink even socially for this very reason, to lower their guard. And that leads to uh, uh, the lust of the flesh and, and all kinds of immoral conduct or, or even 
improper speech. And so when you think about that, uh, Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess. So even if you don't get drunk, there's still excess. And then contrary to that, be filled with the Spirit. So if it under the New Testament, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should be good swords of our bodies. We should be filled with the Spirit, which doesn't merely indicate an anointing or an influence, but actually being controlled, filled, uh, possessed according to our will, not against our will, but completely controlled by the Spirit. So then it would be problematic to say, okay, I'm supposed to be filled and led by the Spirit, but in this case, I'm going to drink alcohol, and I'll try not to get drunk. If I do get drunk, then I'm a sinner for sure. But even if I don't get drunk, I am now letting alcohol start to tell me what to do, and I'm dulling my conscience, and I'm dulling the influence of the Spirit, so for social reasons, I can be a little more uh, lax in my expressions and a little more forward. I can start flirting. I can talk, start uh, saying things I wouldn't normally say. I can start getting arguments that normally I would say is bad. Uh, but I'm no longer letting the Spirit lead me. I'm letting alcohol take over, which means I'm letting my flesh take over, which I'm deliberately letting my sinful nature take precedence over the Spirit. I'm using alcohol as a tool to do that. Well, Romans uh, chapter 8 says that we should mortify the deeds of the body. We should kill the deeds of the body. In other words, don't give the flesh an inch or it'll take a mile. So even thinking about when you fall short of intoxication, you're you're allowing yourself to be under the control of something that's not conducive to your spiritual life. We also have the principles of Christian liberty that we see in Romans 14. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And all and verse and chapter 10. So you might say, Well, I think I have Christian liberty in this case because it says drunkenness is a sin, but it doesn't take doesn't say taking one sip is a sin. Okay, let's just take your premise and go forward. If you read carefully in First Corinthians, it says, Well, I have liberty in things, but it goes on to say, I will not come under the power of anything. It says, I have liberty thing in things but I will not use things that are detrimental or that not beneficial to me. I have liberty, but I will not cause a stumbling block to others. I have liberty, but in everything I will give glory to God. If you take those four principles, is it beneficial? No, it's detrimental. Could it get me under the power of something else other than God? Yes. Could it be a stumbling block to others? If nothing else, my example to children, to youth, to to people I'm trying to win to the Lord, to people who struggle with alcohol, uh, it, it, yes, it could be a stumbling block, my example. And then finally, can I give glory to God? When I eat or drink, can I honor God and glorify God? So even if you start with the principle of Christian liberty, the exercise of Christian liberty, according to the guidelines in 1 Corinthians say, in this case, the best policy is not to try moderation. The best policy is abstention because that's the only safeguard. And, and you also see... Here's some information from several years ago. According to the World Health Organization, 1.8 million people die each year around the world due to alcohol consumption. In the U.S. alone, 75,000 people. So when you consider drunk driving and cirrhosis of the liver and other things, you have about 75,000 people die every year because of alcohol just in the U.S. Even if you set aside all other biblical teachings and moral issues, 
wouldn't that alone be enough to say if we can save people's lives and if we can save millions of people from going into alcoholism and destruction of marriages, families, uh, incidents of crime and addiction, all that, wouldn't it be worth it? So I do think uh, that today, and I will also make a, a further comment, in Bible days, um, distillation was unknown. So they had naturally fermented juice. And as I said, often they diluted it for a table beverage, but they didn't have the means of making these fortified alcoholic beverages. So when you talk about alcohol consumption in Bible days, it's a far different scenario than the variety and type and strength of alcohol today. So you're, you're not comparing, you know, directly. Uh, summarizing it all, I would say for Christians, the right policy is Certainly, drunkenness is a sin. But even considering that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we should not use anything that would cause intoxication or addiction or harm. That means we should not use alcoholic beverages. And I believe that is the consensus of the apostolic church. And that is um, applying the principles of the New Testament to modern life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.